0: grace and peace to you all and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Even in her bitterness, Ruth could still see the Lord in her. She'd lost her husband, she'd lost her boys, she'd been taken from her homeland and was put in this place where now her boys had married pagan women. It didn't seem like anything was going right but somehow even in the midst of all that suffering, Ruth had come to know the Lord.
0: As Ruth has begun to trust in and allow herself to be guided by the Lord, we see things begin to change. Pastor Sam guides us through Ruth chapter 2, which covers only one day in Ruth's new life. But this is the day she meets the man who would ultimately be her kinsman redeemer, Boaz.
1: Ruth chapter 2, God's gracious provision. Ruth chapter 1 began introducing to us... well a famine in the land of promise, a lack of bread in the house of bread, Bethlehem. And we saw that that famine was supernatural in origin, not natural, not a natural disaster, but a divine discipline. God had sent it to turn his people from their sin, from their idolatry back to him. And he'd made some very clear promises. If they would hear, if they would turn, if they would repent, then well, he would once again pour out his blessing on their land. Now, Elimelech, well, and his name means who remembers all of you. See, they all said it at once. <laughs> God is king, exactly. Excellent job. Uh, yeah I know you're just shy and didn't want to get it wrong I don't ask enough God is king or my God is king well Elimelech his name means that but he apparently he wasn't living as if that were reality for he forsook the land of promise and took his family to live in Moab among the cursed Moabites now the Moabites weren't Worse than any of the other pagan nations around, but they actually had more knowledge of God than many of those nations. So in that way, they were more guilty, perhaps, because, well, they were distant relatives and there was a 10 generation curse on them. in any case, in the process of time, Elimelech and his two sons both died, or all three of them, excuse me, died there in Moab. Now, the boys, prior to their death, because it would have to be that way, had both married Moabite women. And upon hearing that God was once again pouring out his blessing on the land of promise, there in Bethlehem. Well, Naomi decides, I'm going home. And as she goes, one of her daughter in laws decides, I'm sticking behind, I'm staying behind. But Ruth, one of her two daughter in laws, chose instead to forsake her own people, her own idols, in order to follow after the true. And living God. And we saw, look back in chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth said, as Naomi said, hey, go home, follow your. Well, here it is entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, a couple of things, and we jump into chapter 2. Both Elimelech and Ruth demonstrate the importance of our daily decisions because decisions determine destiny. And not only did Elimelech's decision to take his family away from the land of promise well, impact him negatively, it impacted his whole family It wasn't just his destiny. It was their destiny. And our choices have consequences. Now, while it's possible, even probable, that from time to time you will suffer for doing right. If you're not sure about that, read ahead in 1 Peter. We're studying it on the weekend. It happens. You do the right thing and people don't bless you for it. They curse you for it. That can happen. But... Don't misunderstand. Suffering is an absolute for those who do evil. Sometimes I do good and I'm blessed. Sometimes I do good and I'm cursed. But I'm always, always, always going to suffer when I sin. And if it seems like people are getting away with it, I know that that can be a stumbling block. You see people around you, you see people and it's like, hey, they're getting away with it. I don't understand. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. The way of the transgressor is hard. And so in time, every sin is discovered and every sinner will pay. Well, we read in chapter 2, verse 1, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now we're introduced here to the hero of our story and we're going to look at him just for who he actually is this week. Next week we're going to consider many of the ways he points us to and, and actually represents our Lord and our Savior Jesus. But you need to know that Boaz isn't just a type of Christ. He was a real guy re- living in a real time in history. In fact, as he's described for us here as a prosperous relative living in the land of promise, it's essential that we remember this story takes place during the time of the judges. What was going on? Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And here's a guy in the midst of that culture, in the midst of that time, in the midst of that season. Well, he's doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. And not only that, it appears that all who were associated with him were influenced positively by him it's there in in verse four, as he comes from Bethlehem and says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Now, I don't know what your workplace is like in the morning, but I would love to think that you all showed up at work and the boss said, the Lord be with you or the Lord bless you. and, And all the workers said, oh, the Lord bless you too. It's not always that way, is it? No, we have a lot of smiles and chuckles because, well, the Lord's name is often used in the workplace. But rarely in this context. Sadly, not in this context. And what a joy to work somewhere where people are actually excited about what the Lord is doing. And praising God for, well, what he's doing. Well, back in. Verse one. Oh, yeah, that's as far as we've gotten. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get through it. Again, we're all affected by those we associate with our attitudes, our ambitions, our actions are impacted and affected by those we spend our time with. So you see it as Boaz has this positive influence over those who work for him he treats them like family and they well they bless him in God's name Ruth's relationship with Naomi exact same picture and I think it's important because Naomi if you remember and that's why I went back over a little bit of the history in chapter one she'd lost her husband she'd lost her boys she'd been taken from her homeland and was put in this place where now her boys had married pagan women, it didn't seem like anything was going right. But somehow, even in the midst of all that suffering, Ruth had come to know the Lord. Ruth had seen in Naomi that even at Naomi's worst, in her time of brokenness and barrenness, so much so that she tells her friends when they return together there to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi which means pleasant. No, call me Mara, which means bitter. Even in her bitterness, Ruth could still see the Lord in her. And here's why. And here's how that works. Once you know the Lord, once he's well, dealing with you and working in and through you, even in your brokenness, well, people sense his Grace, His mercy, His provision. In fact, sometimes it's easier for them to see Jesus in us when we're broken and barren than when we're all prideful and, well, pride is just as serious a sin. So everything can be good and we can think, well, it's all good because I'm so good. I want to encourage you if you're thinking that way, stop it. Repent. Think it through. If you're taking the credit for the blessings in your life, well, you're going to start looking down on the people around you, your brothers and sisters who are suffering or struggling. And listen, I've watched it happen. And it's devastating all the way around. If things are good, I'm not saying you're not doing right. God blesses because he's gracious and he certainly blesses our obedience. But we don't ever want to think we're better than those people who are struggling or better than those people who are suffering because God may be using them as he did Joseph when he was well in Egypt in the house of Potiphar and later in the prison. God was with him and everyone who looked at Joseph and watched Joseph's life recognized God's hand was on him. Everything Joseph touched was blessed by God. So we want to be careful about looking at people and thinking, well, man, they're all messed up and look what they're going through. Well, in any case, in verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. I love this. Verse 2, we find Ruth expressing her desire to provide for herself and for Naomi. Having become a follower of God, and now one with the people of God, she turns to and trust in God for his gracious provision. Two things I want you to take note of there in verse two. She had to be aware of God's promise to provide for the poor through the law that Allowed them to glean in the harvest fields. And what was happening at that point is as the crops were being harvested, the poor among them were allowed to pass behind them and those that grain that would fall that wasn't kept or you know on the stock well they were able to pick it up and and that's how God provided for the poor it wasn't welfare it was workfare it's important to see it they were out there she was out there as many others were if you follow along in the story and they were aware God cares for the poor Now, some think, well, if God cares for the poor, why doesn't he just make everybody wealthy? Well, Wealth isn't always better than poverty. The poor look to the Lord and trust in the Lord. Often we're told that the wealthy that are prideful or arrogant doesn't have to go that way. I've known many wealthy people who were incredibly, or I should say, credibly gracious and, and generous and In any case, she was aware of the promise of God and she was partaking. She's now one with the people of God. Now, we don't know if they were all accepting her, but we're sure God had accepted her. And so she knew she belonged. She was trusting in him. So she's following along. The second thing has to do with God's provision. And it required work on the part of the poor. Now, Naomi was older, so Ruth says, hey, I'll go work for both of us. And I was thinking back, even the manna that fell in the wilderness, you know, God's miraculous provision that came daily. That manna, you had to get up very early in the morning in order to gather it. And if you decided I'm not getting up, well, you went hungry. Did it mean God didn't care or wasn't providing? No, it means you were lazy, didn't want to get up, so you went hungry. And if you decided, I'll just store some up here and and I'll just have it tomorrow. Well, the question has to be asked, what would be worse than going hungry? And that would be trying to eat that manna the next day. Because we're told it would stink and breed worms. Picture maggots. And so, you know. What's worse than being hungry? Eating maggot infested bread. And either way, either way, that's what these guys would have in store. So I love to see it. God makes provision and he does it because he's gracious, because he's caring, because he's compassionate. But he always requires something of us. He doesn't just lay it out there or have us lay in bed and, you know, drop the grapes into our mouth from a a bird. He could do that, but it isn't what he does. Well, verse three, then she left and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She happened. I think the old King James said perhaps were or something. It's kind of a, a quaint expression. But, but it almost sounds like, well, it just she happened along. It was a bit of a coincidence. Not at all. There's a biblical principle here we need to learn from and apply. And that's of God's providential guidance. Listen to Proverbs sixteen nine: A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And since, listen, that that word, by the way, is used generically since it's I see all these gals taking notes up front. I love that. And so a gal's heart directs her steps too, or, you know, plans her way and the Lord directs her steps. All of these are used to speak of all of us. Proverbs 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Proverbs 37, 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You see it. He'll direct your steps. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll direct your paths. Now, sometimes God leads dramatically and radically. So it's obvious that he's leading supernaturally. The Red Sea opens up and he says, come on through. That's pretty dramatic. But you have to know that wasn't a daily or monthly or yearly occurrence with the nation of Israel God fed them every day but he only opened up the Red Sea like that once and sometimes we think because we're not seeing something big or everyone else doesn't take notice well maybe it, it's not really the Lord no if your heart's set on him he says you can count on it he direct your steps when we were getting ready to move up north, we were actually trying to move from Orange County to Washington. That was the goal, at least Pam's goal. I was willing to go. I'd been down there for an awful long time, and she had told me how wonderful Washington State was. And we'd actually taken a trip up there. We had our young son, Nathan. He was just a baby. And We rented a motor home when you could still afford to put gas in it. And and we drove all the way from Orange County to Washington. And we visited this little town where her dad was living. It was called McCleary. It was only about 1,500 people, but he'd actually bought a house. I mean, he is that kind of guy. He knew we were coming up to visit. So he buys this amazing house and says, hey, when you get here, this will be yours. So we've got a place to live. And Pam's like, we got to move here. This will be great. We'll start a home fellowship. The Lord will just make a church of it. And and I believe that. Her heart was to move. My heart was to pastor. So it seemed like everything was working out. There was one glitch. Real small town, not much work. In fact, the only place I might have been able to get a job, and I still thank them it didn't work out, was at the power plant. I don't know if you can tell, I'm not exactly a power plant kind of guy. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those who are, it's just not me. And it, it, well, it wasn't just a regular power plant, it was one of those, you know, where things glow and people glow. Now, I didn't want to go. But long story short, it didn't work out because they started laying people off. And and as it happens, I was playing a gig at the New Porter Inn. And Chuck Fromm, who ran Maranatha Music at that time, he came in and hung out with the band in between songs. And we were talking about ministry and music ministry and all these things. And I told him, man, I I feel called a pastor well, he tells me his little brother is is looking for someone like me. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know why anybody would have been looking for something like me. But but what he meant is he needed someone who could do music and do singles and do youth and pretty much do everything he wasn't doing. And so anyway, I said, well, I'll, I'll tell Pam about it. And and I've told many of you the story how we ended up in Yuba City and then we got up here in Chico because we were in Yuba City. And all I'm saying in all of that is God's hand was in it. He was moving providently. He he knew he was going to take us up there and ultimately up here. And in order for us to go, well, some things just had to happen. Our hearts had to be sort of separated from that area where we'd grown up, where we had our first date. We got married there. We had our children there. All our friends, all our family, we had a lot we were leaving behind, but we knew that God was leading us. After we moved up here, we kind of continued a pattern we'd had for years and years. We lived in over 30 houses together and actually over 35 houses, but even before we got here, close to 30. And we would moved into one house and, well, it didn't work out because the house sold. And then we moved into another house and Well, we were living in this place and we loved it. We had a horse. We had a pool. We had an acre of land. The rent was affordable. Everything was good. And then the landlord decides to sell it. Pam actually gets bugged by that kind of thing, by the way. I know not much shakes her and you watch her and you're, wow, man, she really is pretty stable for somebody who has so much responsibility. But anyway, she was all bugged and a little bit freaking out. And I was just like, "Ah, whatever happens, happens. And I've always been that way. And she's like, well, you need to do something. So I look in the paper and I find this five acre ranch. The very next day after I call and say, hey, I'm interested in looking at your ranch just to appease her. You know, I just, you know treat your wife like a thoroughbred and she won't be such a nag. That's that's what I was told. And it was a long time ago. I shouldn't get in trouble for that now. But anyway, anyway. The long and short of it is, I called on the farm the very next day. We got word that someone was buying that house. We had to move. We moved to this great farm and we added to our, our horse and another horse and, and then a pony and then geese and goats and chucks and chickens and ducks. And we got geese, you know, godlings. Did I say chucks? Well, whatever they are. <laughs> you know, that's when the chickens and the ducks get together and <laughs> you get some chucks good eating tastes like chicken but Bud has them all the time anyway anyway all of that to say that it doesn't have to be dramatic it doesn't have to be obvious it doesn't have to be something that makes everyone say "Ooh, wow man that was the Lord
0: When we trust in the Lord and let him guide our steps, so often we will just happen to find ourselves in the right field at the right time. God uses our obedience and our faithfulness to change our lives and others in powerful ways. Join us next time as Pastor Sam completes Ruth chapter 2 and the amazing day that changed Ruth's life forever. It surrounds me and your peace, it fills
1: my soul and your gift of salvation in your son.